As you can see, the title of the lesson this morning is The Sabbath Day, God's Rest. Now, uh, as I thought about this now, on, um, make sure I got this running. It is. On uh, Wednesday evenings, we've been studying the Old Testament, going through First Chronicles, just finished it, getting ready to start Second Chronicles. And we've been talking about some of those feast days. And, of course, one of them certainly would be uh, the Sabbath. That's a holy day that God has given. I also recognize that sometimes when you say, oh, I'm going to preach on the Sabbath, people kind of like, huh, we've heard that before. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to stay with me for a moment. Maybe this will be just a little bit different approach than maybe what you've considered in regards to the Sabbath previously. So I'm going to go ahead and pull up this uh, slide so we see kind of where we're headed here. The Sabbath, what is it? When they initially was given it, it was like they would be, have to be taught. What was that? What is it? When was it? And why was it? So kind of keeping those things in mind, but we're going to take a look at these three points. The day, first of all, and then we're going to talk about Joshua and his example, and you'll see how that fits in. And then we're hopefully, by the time I get, we get finished this morning, you'll say, well, the Sabbath, it's more than just a day. So let me ask you, as we get started this morning, whenever one, someone mentions the Sabbath, what do you think of? Well, I think maybe initially you're going to say, oh, there was a day. And if you press it just a little bit further, you'll say, oh, it was the seventh day. And then if you press it again, you might say, oh, that was Saturday. Well, let me tell you this. The word Sabbath does not mean seventh. The word Sabbath does not mean Saturday. The word Sabbath means rest. Now, are all of those connected? Yes, they are. As God institutes it within His Word, then we come to understand how that's all tied together. But keeping in mind this just initially, the word Sabbath means rest. Okay, Genesis chapter 1 and verse about 31. It's the sixth day, and God has completed, completed all of creation. And on that sixth day, He looks at what He has made, and He says that it is very good. Now I'm going to read to you from Genesis, the second chapter, in verses 1 through 3, as we get started here. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day, sanctified it, because he rested from all his work which he had done and created and made. So now we see creation. It's finished. And now there's a seventh day after that, and he rests. Mentions that. Notice Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. Genesis 2 and verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. Let me tell you what Young's literal translation says for Genesis 2 and verse 15. Jehovah God took the man and caused him to rest in the garden of Eden to serve it and to keep it. Can you see that? 
God rested from creation. He took man and placed him in the garden. God rested from his work and Adam rested in his work. Can you see that? He rested in what God had completed. Later, later, the Sabbath day will be important to the Jewish religion. But on that day, in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, it is God that rests from His work. He rests from His creation. Later, in Exodus the 20th chapter, is when you will see God will then institute the Sabbath day. The fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And in Exodus chapter 20, about verses 8 through 11, which Kenny read this morning, he will recall creation. So as God gives them that commandment there at Sinai, one of the reasons why they keep that day is so, so they might remember creation. But Kenny went ahead and read from Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter, about verses 12 through 15, and he restates all those things, plus he adds something in verse 15. Recall that at that time you were slaves. God redeems you. So as you keep the Sabbath now, not only do you think about creation, you also think about the fact that God redeemed you. There's creation and there's redemption. And so that day you will remember these things. Leviticus. I want to read from Leviticus chapter 23. This is 1 through 3. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. These are my feasts. Verse 3. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it, It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all of your dwellings. It's creation. It's redemption. Now it's a holy convocation. This is a holy day for assembly. We talked a little bit about holy last week. So I want to remind you of it here. Things become holy as they are associated with, connected to God. Here's a day that is connected to God. Therefore, he is saying this is a holy day. We talked about the ground that Moses was standing on. God said, take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. This ground is associated with God. We've been studying about the temple on Wednesday nights. The things that were in that temple, the utensils and so forth that were used, they were to be holy. They are associated with service in connection with God. God told Israel, I am holy, therefore you shall be holy. His people associated with Him became holy. Can you see that? Here's a day. There's a place. There's a time. There's people. 
there's things. And they become holy as they are connected to, associated with God. That's what makes them holy. So now, in Exodus, the 20th chapter, God says, remember the Sabbath day. Remember that day that I rested. Think about creation. Think about redemption. I'm giving you this time. And it is a holy convocation. A time to come together to worship. Remember. And you assemble. So as you put those pieces together, you see what he's talking about. When he's talking about it being a holy day. And it's the Sabbath. So now then, Genesis chapter 2 mentions that day that God rested. But let me ask you this question. In Genesis chapter 2, who rested? God did. After Genesis chapter 2, you don't see anybody resting until you get to Exodus the 16th chapter. There is no place that I can find, and I would encourage you to search, look through Genesis and look through Exodus, clear up to chapter 16, and think about creation, and think about Adam, and think about Noah, and think about Enoch, and think about all the others. Which one of those guys did God ever tell them, I want you to observe the Sabbath? It's not there. But now then we come to Exodus, the 16th chapter. And they are on their way to Sinai. God, a lot of time has passed. (laughs) There's been Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all these people that have in Egypt. And now he brings them out. And now they're on their way to Sinai. Now on their way to Sinai, I would just ask you this. Did they ever complain? (laughs) It's almost like, when didn't they complain? (laughs) And so it wasn't easy. And they faced challenges. But as they came out of Egypt and they saw those plagues, they saw what God did, they saw Him divide the Red Sea, do you think they might have had just a little confidence in Him? But we have read before, studied before, they went three days journey, three days journey in the wilderness after they left the Red Sea and they're complaining about we don't have water. (laughs) Do you think maybe you should try praying first before you start complaining? But God is gracious and what's He do? He supplies water. So they go just a little further after that. Second month. 15th day we're hungry <laughs> Exodus 15 and what do they do they complain do you think maybe you ought to try praying but God is gracious and so therefore what does God do he supplies manna for them I'll read in just a moment I don't have time to read all the passages that we need to read. There's an outline right back there on that little table. And I would encourage you. But in Exodus chapter 3, God had promised 
that he would bring them to the promised land. They are traveling with God. Moses is leading them, but it's under direction, under the direction of God. And they are headed towards the promised land. And every time they run into an issue, they complain. We need water. We thirst. We need bread. We hunger. But as I've stated before, physical things are used to help us understand spiritual things. Do we ever thirst on our spiritual journey? Jesus says, if any man thirst, let him come to me. Do we ever hunger? Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Doesn't he? So as they journeyed in the wilderness, a physical journey, they thirsted, they hungered, and each and every time God provided for them. Exodus, the 16th chapter. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. It says, And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Zin, which is between Elam and Sinai, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, it's been 45 days. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and against Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When he sat, when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full, For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. See that? They're on their way. They're not there yet. And they're complaining about eating. And so God says through Moses, okay, just just tell them this. I'm going to rain bread from heaven. But here's the deal. You go out and gather enough each day. And on the sixth day, you gather twice as much. But I don't want you going out on that seventh day. Why not? Because he said, I'm going to test them. To see whether or not they will walk in my law. You see where he's headed? He's headed to Sinai. And when he gets to Sinai, see, we know the rest of the story. (laughs) And when he gets to Sinai, or gets them to Sinai, he's going to enter into a covenant with them. And what's he going to say? I'm holy, so therefore you shall be holy. You're connected to me. That's what's going to make you holy. And you will be a witness to the other nations. So now, when he gets to Sinai, I'm going to bind this day on you. Right now, I'm testing you to see whether or not you will walk 
in my ways. This is a little prep work. <laughs> These people have not been trusting in God. Every time they run into a difficulty, they start to complain. If they trust, why don't you just pray? You want something to drink? God can provide it. You need something to eat? God can provide it. But now I'm going to test you. For six days... Six days. Wait a minute. Have you ever heard that before? Okay. Six days. <laughs> I want you to go out and gather. I want you to work. But on the seventh day... What, what's Sabbath mean? Rest. I want you to rest. Genesis 2. He sanctified it. He hallowed it. God rested. He ceased from His work. Ceased from His work. But until this time, Genesis 2, Exodus 16, it had never been commanded. And now they're on their way to Sinai. I've got to get you people to listen to me. You're going to be mine. And you're going to be a witness to the other nations. But the only way you can ever be what I want you to be is if you trust me. If you listen to me. You can read the rest of Exodus 16. <laughs> we don't have time. But you think about creation. Sabbath, help them remember. You think about redemption. You were slaves. I brought you out. But you remember as we were traveling, I provided for you. We're on our way to the promised land. I'll take care of you. But you got to listen to me. So in Exodus 16, then he says, I'm going to test him. I give him this. But don't go out and gather on the seventh day. Once you gather enough on the sixth day. I didn't pull up that first slide, did it? So it was about the day. <laughs> the second point is about Joshua. I'm going to turn over to the book of Hebrews. Kind of fast forward here. Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering His rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Skip down to verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest any one fall according to the same example of disobedience. So now the Hebrew writer is encouraging Christians. And he's saying, we need to enter into that rest. We need to enter into God's rest. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 18. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So what's the Hebrew writer talking about? He's talking about when they were led to the borders of the promised land. 
And you stop and you think about that for a second, and as you read from the Old Testament, you know there was a time, the first time, that they came to the borders of the Promised Land. Do you remember about Numbers 13 and 14? When they came there and Moses was still leading them, And he said, this is what I want you to do. God, through Moses, telling them, I want you to send spies into the land. I want you to check it out because I'm getting ready to lead you in there. We're going to take this land, but there's people in there that we're going to have to drive out. But this is that land flowing with milk and honey that I've told you about back in Exodus chapter 3. And I've brought you along. I have delivered you every step of the way. And now we are here and we're getting ready to end in. I want you to go these 12 spies, check out that land, come back, give a report. So they go and they're gone for 40 days and they come back. And what do they say? <coughs> they say, you know that land? It's just like he said. <laughs> it is a land flowing with milk and honey. But the cities are fortified. And there's giants in the land. We can't do it. Ten of them. Ten of them said they couldn't do it. But there was two that said they could. I want to read to you from Numbers, the 14th chapter now. Verses 1 through 3. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if we had only died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should become victims Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. (laughs) Oh, that we had died back there. Oh, that we had died in the wilderness. And so they're crying. And they're weeping. And they're complaining once again. Verse 6. But Joshua, the son of Nun, And Caleb, the son of Jephthah, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. And their protection has departed from them. And the Lord is with us to bring us into this land. So Joshua and Caleb said, don't complain. That land is just as good as God said it was. And God has brought us this far. And if he delights in us, he's going to deliver us into that land. Do not rebel. Do not turn away from it. So following this, because they complained, Numbers the 14th chapter, about verses 26 through 38, and you can read that. 
So God, through Moses, tells them, you've doubted me once again. And that's what the Hebrew writer is talking about. They didn't enter in because they disobeyed and they didn't believe. So now Moses says, those wives, those children, you said we're all going to die out here. I'm going to tell you who is going to die out here. Everybody from 20 years old and up is going to die in this wilderness. And those young ones, they'll be the ones that I actually bring in to this land. And so they spent the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness till all that generation died off. And then Moses died. And then Joshua will bring them back to the borders of that land again. And we learn a lot from Joshua, don't we? And one of the most famous statements that is tied to Joshua is Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. You remember it? Choose this day whom you will serve. The gods who our fathers served beyond the river, the Amorites. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what Joshua says. You can choose. Serves whoever you want. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, Joshua is an amazing example. And there's other passages that are connected with him. And I'll just mention one of them. And here's a story that I think is familiar with a lot of us. It's once again while they were traveling. And the Amalekites attacked them. And so God, through Moses once again, Moses spoke to Joshua and he said, go and gather certain men and go out and fight against them. And so Joshua, he doesn't hesitate. He just goes and gathers the men and they go out against the Amalekites. And Aaron and Hur and Moses go up on the mountain to watch over the battle. Remember that? And as long as Moses kept his arms up, guess who's winning? It's Israel. But when he gets tired, guess who's winning? It's the Amalekites. So Aaron and Hur, they pick his arms up. They set him on a rock. (laughs) And they hold his arms up. And Israel prevails. Joshua wins that battle. What's that tell you? Well, did God tell them to do something? Yeah, they did. So did they obey Him? Yeah. You got against Him. You'll win. And there's Joshua. And he's fighting for the Lord. But why do you think Moses was up there holding up his arms? Who does the battle belong to the battle belongs to the Lord so why was he there yeah Joshua I want you to go fight I want you to put forth every effort that you got but I want you to know the battle belongs to the Lord you see that 
Numbers. 17th chapter, or Exodus. I'm in the wrong book. Exodus 17. I did tell you that story was from Exodus, didn't I? Or did I say Numbers? <laughs> it's from Exodus. Exodus 17. Now verses 13. This is after the battle. This is after they've won. This is after Joshua has gone out to fight. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Wow. Wow. Hey, Moses. What happened here today? I want you to write this down. I want this to be a permanent record. Did we just read it? Yeah, we did. And I want you to tell them about Joshua. I want you to write his name in the book. Can you see that? You want your name written in the book? Trust the Lord. Obey the Lord. Fight for the Lord. So God honored him there that day. Let's go back to the book of Hebrews. Chapter 4 this time. I'm going to read verse 1 and then skip down to verse 4 and then 9 through 11. Hebrews 4 and verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering to his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Verse 4. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. Verse 9. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works. God ceased from his works and then he placed man in the garden. Young's literal translation says he rested him there. Can you see that? God's completed works and man rested, placed in what God had done. You know what the Hebrew writer has been arguing from the very beginning? That Jesus is greater. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the angels. And who does he want them to trust in? Jesus. And what does he want them to trust about him? His works. And what he has done. So that we stop striving for salvation on our own. And trust him for what he has done. Matthew the 11th chapter. 
Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. When God took man and placed him in the garden, did he tell him, Oh, just sit down. Nothing else to do here. It's not what it says, is it? Man rested in God's completed work. And he said, I want you to tend it. I want you to keep it. Isn't that what we do? Is there something else that you and I can do to guarantee salvation? No. No. We trust Jesus Christ. He has done everything that is necessary to secure our salvation. And we rest in what He has done. But do we have anything to do? (laughs) Do we tell anybody else about Jesus Christ? Do we seek to follow after Him? Trust Him? Obey Him? We're not adding to. We're just trying to keep it. Isn't that the idea? Rest in this. Cease from your own striving. And just do what he says. Obeying manifests the truth that we trust him. So the Sabbath day. It's more than just a day. It's about rest. Each day... God saw his work. And at the end of each day, he declared it good. And then there was evening, and there was morning, and then the next day. And at the end of that one, God once again declared it was good. Until he came to the sixth day, when it was completed, when it was finished, and he said it was very good. The heavens, Genesis 2, verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth and all the host were finished. And then on the seventh day, he rested. You know what? God could have done it one day. Couldn't he? He's God. (laughs) Could have done it one day. But rather, he did it six. So at the end of each day, he didn't say it was done. He said it was good. There was a rhythm to time and to the life. And then on the seventh day, he ceased from creation. And he sanctified the seventh day and made it whole. Kadosh. Sanctified. Set apart. Holy. This time is connected to God. This time you think about Him. You think about where everything has come from, where you came from, what He has done for them in redeeming them. You know, in understanding the Sabbath, you know, one of the things that we need to do is we need to remember when those first five books were written. When were they written? They were written by Moses, right? 
And we've talked about this before on Wednesday night class. Here they are at Sinai. And it's like Moses is going to explain to them. God through Moses is going to explain to them. This is who you are. This is where you came from. This is how you got here. And now I am giving you religion. And one of the things that I'm giving you is the Sabbath. And I want you to keep it. It's a holy day, separate, set apart, part this time so that you can focus on God. What He has done. So it's more than just a day. It's a day of rest. It's a day of acknowledgement. But the Hebrew writer says it was only a shadow of the good things to come. It was pointing towards something else. Can we see that? And so, while we're working towards, traveling towards that rest, I need you to take time and I need you to think about who it is that you're traveling with. So he gives them that day. Do you think they had a day of rest back in Egypt? Don't think so. Do you think as the other nations looked at Israel, they thought, what are they doing? Every seventh day, they're just sitting around. Nobody working in the fields and nobody working in the vineyard. What are they doing? They trust their God. So they stop and they remember. And they worship Him. And that's a big deal. And that was important for them to remember that. So God gave them that day. Now let me give you this illustration. We as, as humans... We kind of have a tendency to fill up our days, don't we? Fill up our time. And let me ask you this. Do any of the important things, things, people, ever get pushed out of your time? Because you filled it up with so much stuff. So this teacher was giving this lesson. And she took a bucket. And she set it on her desk. And then she placed like three big rocks in there to where the third one, when it went in, you could just kind of barely see the top of it, you know. And then she asked the class, she said, is it full? Said, yeah, it looks full. She goes, huh? And so then she takes a whole bunch of smaller rocks, pebbles, and she pours that in there. And she says, is it full? And they're like, yeah. No. So she takes sand and dumps that in there. Is it full? Yeah. No. So then she pours water in it. And then she says, What's the lesson that I'm trying to teach you? And one student said, I guess that we can always squeeze something else into our bucket. She said, no, the lesson I'm trying to teach you is if you want to get the big things in there, 
They got to go in first. They got to go in first. So God gave them the Sabbath. You've got time. But as you start to fill your bucket, don't forget the big things. They got to go in first. So I want you to stop. And I want you to worship. I want you to reflect. And I want you to remember. And I want you to remember that everything comes from God. Including you. Including you. So as they traveled, God provided. And in Exodus 17, God protected It's just that they forgot who they were traveling with. And so that's what the Hebrew writer is talking about in Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4. About that first generation. And how he's encouraging Christians. Don't forget the big things. Don't forget who you're traveling with. And the reason why they didn't enter that rest. Is because they disbelieved. And they disobeyed. So now let me ask you this question. Do we as Christians observe the Sabbath? Because there are some who would argue that we should. And I'm just telling you this, that this is kind of preliminary because there's going to be another lesson. (laughs) And we're going to spend a lot of time and a lot of detail. And I will encourage you to get the outline and read it and go over it. Because I think the scriptures clearly teach, no, we're not to keep the Sabbath. And some try to go back and bind it from the beginning. And that's why I tell you, from Genesis 2 to Exodus 16, there's no mention of anybody keeping the Sabbath. And in Exodus 16, they're on their way to Sinai. And he says, I'm going to test you. So what he's using then is what he's going to bind on them later. But the reason is for their good and to be a witness to the rest of the world. So Colossians 2, about verses 6 through 17, says, Let no one judge you in regards to feast days and new moons and Sabbaths. Don't let them judge you in regards to that anymore. And in verse 14, he took it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. So now let me ask you, is there a day set apart when Christians should come together and we pause and re-reflect and re-remember and we give thanks? Yes, I believe so, thoroughly. It's the first day of the week. But think it through. How does anyone or anything become holy? It's through association, connection to God. And so God tied the Sabbath for Israel back to creation. And when they came out of uh, Egypt and when He brought them out, He said, I want you to remember creation. I want you to remember redemption. 
So in the New Testament Christians, is there a day that's associated with God? What day did Jesus come forth from the grave? First day of the week, right? Acts 20, when did Christians come together to break bread? First day of the week, right? 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2, when did they take up the collection? First day of the week, right? When you put those passages together, does it seem like that day is associated to, connected to God? That's when Jesus came forth from the grave, isn't it? First day of the week. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John chapter 1, verse 14. He was God. The Word became flesh. He was God in the flesh. Which day is connected? Which day is holy for Christians? First day of the week, isn't it? So Revelation 1 and about verse 10. What do you think John had in mind when he said he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day? What day do you think that was? First day of the week? Yeah. I think there's clearly a day. Now, we don't have the same laws as what God bound on them in regards to the Sabbath. But we have a day. And we come together. And we worship. And we remember. And we reflect. When did it change? Sometimes people ask. <laughs> right there in the first century. And some people will say, Oh yeah, but Paul went into the synagogue on the Sabbath. Well, I would just ask, what was he doing in there? <laughs> was he trying to convince more people to become Jews? <laughs> he was trying to convince Jews to become Christians. And over time, that's exactly what you see transpiring and happening. And we'll talk about it in more detail in that next lesson that's coming. But the Sabbath day, God's rest. And what we first read about in Genesis 2, and what is bound in Exodus 20, Paul says the law was a shadow of the good things to come. It was pointing forward to something better, that eternal rest. I'm going to extend the invitation to any and all that are here, and if you need to respond to the Lord in any way, you let us know while together we stand and while we sing.